Well, welcome. It is Henry Harris, and we are here for another edition of the Spiritual Foundations of Mental Health. Today's topic, the precious one who does not know to ask. But let's begin with our overview. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the spiritual foundations of mental health. Your mental well-being, your mental health is not dependent on anything of this world. No evidence, no information, no feeling, no experience can serve as proof, evidence that you are deficient, that you are lacking, that you are unhealthy. Rather, it is possible to misunderstand what is true about our feelings and conclude that there is something missing or contingent about our mental health. But that would be simply a misunderstanding, meaning to say, we are having an experience of life moment to moment to moment. We are experiencing, we are on the receiving end of a beautiful, profound, divine energy, a flow. It's, a, it's kind of each and every one of us has our now. We're having a now and then another now and then another, another now. And we're having that experience via a source that is not part of this world. It's not bound to or contained in this world. It's just not. It's not to say that we aren't having experiences or events or circumstances in our lives. It's not to say that we don't have responsibilities to make choices, to respond to events, or to be proactive about uh, the circumstances of our lives. We do, but it's super precious and valuable to understand What's true about our emotional landscape as we are making those choices or considering our choices, our responses, our reactions? Okay, so so let's give some examples. So I'm having experience. I'm having a surge of feelings. I'm um, feeling insecure or frightened or anxious or alternatively, I'm feeling uh uh, very happy or excited. And I'm looking around. It's a very normal thing that a human being has those feelings. He looks around and he asks himself, almost not even fully consciously, well, where's that coming from? Like, what's going on with that feeling? And then he hangs that feeling on something. Oh, it's uh, it's because there's an event coming up in a week and I'm responsible for it and I'm nervous about it. I'm fearful. Um, I am... Uh, having guests or family over, and it generally involves a conflict, and I'm really troubled or fearful about that. Or I have this insecurity that I don't know how to rid myself of, and I associate it with uh, the events of my childhood, or w whatever it might be. It is so normal for human beings to have, to get feelings, to be potentially troubled by or alarmed by those feelings, and then just kind of out of basic self-interest to look to figure out, okay, how can I get a handle on that? How do I, how do I rid myself of that feeling? How do I fix it? How do I avoid it? And in the process of that simple calculation, what we're doing is we're we're making a mistake. We're we're, we're assigning that the source of that feeling is coming is coming from something of this world, something of my past, something of my present circumstances, some circumstance that I'm anticipating coming in the future. Now that would be a misunderstanding to assume to to ascribe that the that that anything of this world is the actual author cause of this moment's experience this moment's feeling mood psychological experience is simply a misunderstanding about how feelings are created and for that matter how anything is created there is nothing of this world that has power autonomously i am breathing right now thank god i am drawing breath 
And I'm exhaling, I'm lifting my arm, and I'm lowering my arm. And all of those things are powerful ways in which I use power. But it's not my power. I'm not the author of the power. I have a role in it. I have a part in it. I am responsible to make use of the power that I have. But I'm not literally the author of that power. And there's all kinds of ways in which I am experiencing the source behind all life showing up that is not to my doing. It's not my authoring. I don't, I don't author the surge of insecure feelings that show up as I'm walking down the street. I don't author that stab of resentment or jealousy that shows up as I'm, I don't know, eating breakfast. I don't author those things. We are on the receiving end of a divine flow moment to moment to moment. And I am first and foremost interested to know what is true about that. It's just a wonderful endeavor not it's not the only endeavor we have choices to make we have we have we have things to do and respond to in this world but it's so precious to know the truth about what what underlies the landscape of our lives what underlies the 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 landscape of our emotional experience because it's so profoundly impactful in terms of how we go about making choices and navigating our our our, our experience. So I am um, much more. I, I will just express now. I, I want to remind us here that I'm describing what is a, a logic and a truth that I would f- just say is fits under the rubric of the of the commandment to know there is a creator, and it's a precious, precious fulfillment that one can just simply affirm this inwardly, and he's accomplished an amazing amazing spiritual accomplishment to know and affirm that there is only one single source. And then simultaneously, when I acknowledge that, well, it can't be my child's misbehavior or the disagreement I'm having with my spouse or the the uh, unpleasant email I got from somebody or whatever it might be, it can't be that that literally has the power to create the feeling I'm having right now. It can't be. The moment I acknowledge that inwardly, I'm also fulfilling an extraordinary commandment called not to believe in idols, not to ascribe power to things other than the single simple source. So inherently it's meaningful. And we're describing that logic. We're looking at that logic, that truth, and the implications of that truth. And we're also acknowledging that when we glimpse that, when we're gifted with kind of a an inner recognition of that truth, it's of a it's life-changing when we really do glimpse and see the truth about our experience and where and how it's being created, it is it, it will change our lives. It will allow us a certain space, a certain peacefulness, a certain ability to look at and be with our feelings as we're watching our feelings. We're, we're able to experience our feelings. We're able to watch those feelings as in a manner that we might watch weather. Oh, I, today's raining. I should probably wear a raincoat today. You know, I, I, I'm aware of how to respond to the feelings or the phenomenon of weather without it being like a, a crippling or de- 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 debilitating experience, but I'm responsive to it. I might even change my plans based on the weather, but I, I, I look at it with a certain kind of a, a peacefulness I don't, it's not just overly distressing to me. In a similar fashion, when we are gifted with this understanding, we see for ourselves kind of on a gift level of insight, the truth about our psychological experience, it definitely affords us a whole different 
perch from which to operate. And but the the more we're involved in the inherent value of seeing this truth, which as I said isn't inherently successful spiritual living, the more we're the more we're permeable, the more we're susceptible to these insights into these gifts. And we do get gifts. Every one of us is getting gifts. They're not permanent. There, there's a certain back and forth to our lives, there's a certain up and down to our lives, but that's not a problem. As a reminder, the basic premise of this whole conversation is that our spiritual well-being, our mental well-being is not conditional upon anything of this world. There is no circumstance, there's no feeling, there's no habit that can serve as evidence or testimony to there being something conditionally healthy about us. No. We are unconditionally healthy. We are unconditionally in possession of well-being because all of our experience, all of our distress, all of our feelings, all of our fears, insecurities, anxieties, um, all of them are, are, are occurring in a platform that is safe and healthy. The presence of those, dis- those darker feelings, those darker moods, the presence in no way indicates danger. On the contrary, it, they hurt. I'm not saying that it doesn't feel painful to have these feelings, but there's a world of difference when I, 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 I feel pain but know that the pain is safe relative to I feel pain and the pain seems to me an indication of absolute crisis or danger. That's a world of difference. So that is my intro. Now, we are looking at very soon a wonderful holiday called Passover, and I was struck absolutely struck by an idea that is obviously relevant to the Passover, but it's relevant all year round, whenever you're listening to this. There are, um, on the on the night of Passover, we celebrate and explore this beautiful understanding that we're describing, and we're talking about our capacity to be, to, to the, the role that this wisdom understanding plays in our being free human beings, our being are being people who are not stuck, who are not dependent on the circumstances of life to have a life of meaning and 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 joy, to have a life of goodness. We are exploring that this this wisdom truth that tells us that we are not dependent on anything in order to have a life of beauty and meaning and and profound um, value, and that's just and to experience that value. We're not dependent on anything. That's freedom. Now, one of the things that we explore is something called the four sons. The four sons are four different types of people and how they approach the whole topic of freedom. And so the Haggadah, the classic work of Jewish tradition, in which which we use on the Passover night to explore the opportunity of freedom and the whole meaning of the Exodus, um, there are the Haggadah records that there are four there are four kids. There's a wise one, there's a wicked one, there's a simple one, and there's one who does not know to ask. And on in the past we've talked about some of these sons, in particular the wicked one. The wicked one in Hebrew is translated. The word in Hebrew is Russia. The word Russia, as I've shared in the past, refers more to more than it refers to wicked and villainous, that's the English translation. I, I see it as referring to someone who's kind of a noisy, um, chaotic person who's, who, whose misunderstanding leads to self-destructive and destructive choices. The Hebrew word for uh, Russia, that which we translate as wicked, is really similar to the Hebrew word for rash. Rash is the same letters, it just means noisy. 
there's an internal noise that he misunderstands. And as a result, he's yanked around by it. And in that yanking around chaotic chaos, he makes poor choices. Um, we do that. But we're not so much talking about that today. We're talking now about the Eno Yodea Lishol, the one who does not know to ask. So this insight came to me just recently as I was describing this, and it's just so valuable. It's so precious. I'm, I wanted to share it. And um, of course, I welcome your input as, as always at, at henry at jewishwellbeing.org. Um, but here's the idea. The Enu Yodei Lishol, the one who doesn't know to ask, who is that person? So it's important as a background that one of perhaps the most famous part of the Haggadah is the... Um, is what's called the manishtana, the, the 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 introductory word words to the four questions. We ask questions on the night of Passover. Now, the commentaries ask, why not? Why bother with the questions? Just present the answers to the questions. The whole Haggadah is meant to explore the answers to those questions. But why is it necessary to present it in question format, question answer format? And the answer that the commentaries are, are, offer is that. That you cannot compare a person's ability to receive insight and wisdom as an answer to a question relative to to just simply hearing an idea. When a person has asked a question, when a person has engaged in a curiosity of sorts, that curiosity is an acknowledgement of, hey, I'm missing something. I'm missing understanding. Something's deficient in my in my worldview. I, I recognize that there's something missing. When a person has that openness and that kind of, it's, it's a vulnerability of sorts. It's a recognition, hey, there's something out there that is really valuable that I want and I don't have it. That is the underlying a question. When a person experiences that for himself, hey, I'm missing something, the possibility of the answer is of a wholly different nature than when he hasn't had that question. All of a sudden, there's a there's a space inside his heart. There's a space inside his life. Hey, I'm really missing something. Bang, an answer now comes and has the potential to fill a, a, a space and in a way that it becomes part of him. It truly has the ability to touch him because he's aware, hey, I'm missing something. Without that question, without that vulnerability, without that awareness of I'm missing something, then the, the information can just kind of come and, and just roll right over his head. It flies right over his head. It rolls off his back, whatever metaphor you want to use. It just doesn't register as precious in understanding. And our job in this world is to be people who are seeking wisdom, understanding. We're seeking to know and experience new understanding from a source that we are not, that, that's not us. We're looking to receive a divine download. The only way we can do that is to treasure and to value the phenomenon of a question, to value the, the phenomenon of, hey, I'm missing some understanding. I'm missing wisdom. So here we go. So what's, what, what's, what is involved in a person? The whole notion of a question, I think it's important to recognize that asking a question, there's a courage involved in asking a question. There's a tremendous courage involved in asking a question. It's the willingness to see and face, I don't know something, I'm missing something, it's valuable, and I don't have it. There's a humility that goes into that and a courage that goes into that. I'm inclined myself personally to want to be autonomous, to want to feel like I've got everything I need, I'm not reliant on others, I don't lack, I'm all, I got it all together. 
the experience of the curiosity and asking a question is a tremendous act of courage and and uh and therefore it's celebrated we we take that night the night of it it's 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 not a coincidence that passover night is perhaps best known for the four questions that the youngest child is meant to ask before the whole family it's a celebration of i don't know i i need to, there's things i don't know i need them so here's this Eno Yudei the one who doesn't know to ask. He is the one for whom facing that deficiency is just too much. It's scary. And let me be very frank and acknowledge that that's each and every one of us. That's me. There are places in my life that I don't know that I yearn for, but I'm not fully facing them. I'm not fully present to them because there's something unsettling about the uh, ability to look f- squarely in the eyes of my lack of of my con- of my confusion, to look squarely at my deficiency, to look squarely at the places where I feel either lost or deficient in some manner. There's a way in which human beings are uncomfortable with that, and each one of us, the four, our sages tell us that the four sons or the four children are really each and every one of us, all of us experience ourselves as the wise one, the noisy one, the simple one, and the one who's just afraid to ask. It just, there's, there's, there's like a, uh, uh, the fearfulness comes from this kind of shame or this sense of like, I can't look there. I just can't look there. It's too uncomfortable to look there. How many of us are uncomfortable with downtime, are uncomfortable with quiet time, are uncomfortable being alone? There's a, a way in which our our personal, there's a deep, deep sort, a deep soul within us that wants to know, that yearns to understand, that yearns to connect to something much greater than itself. But there's a courage involved in looking over there. Maybe I, by definition, we aren't this. We can't provide that answer. By definition, we will need to turn to resources, to friends, to teachers, to mentors, and ultimately to our Creator to provide us with the thing that we lack. And I, I am the first to acknowledge that that's, there's discomfort involved in that. The anal yodea lishol, the one who doesn't know to ask, is the one who is not, he's distant from his awareness of the, of the preciousness of questions. He hasn't seen past the, the, the shame. He sees, rather, he sees the shame. He associates his deficiency, his lack, with shame. And as a result, he has a, has a vested interest in looking away from his confusion. That is what the Passover night is about, is we celebrate the confusion. We celebrate the deficiency. The four questions, we start off the, say, the Seder with that awareness of like, what am I missing? What's not here? What's misunderstood to me? Where am I stuck? That is to be celebrated. And each of us must know that we possess within us and not only we possess it as ourselves, our spouses, our children, our loved ones, our neighbors, our, every one of us has an Eno, Yodea, Lishol. Every one of us has the one who is unable to ask, paralyzed by that sense of shame, that fear, that is unwilling to face that deficiency. We, uh, What can we do for that one? Well, we begin by celebrating. As I said, we said that we, the theme of the night is we celebrate. We have a partnership opportunity. The only way that I can be a partner with the divine source is by acknowledging my need for the divine source. It's the most human and dignified thing there is. It's the most precious thing there is that a human being is lacking. 
because that lack is what allows us to turn to resources other than ourselves. It allows us to form beautiful partnerships, friendships, relationships. A husband needs a wife, a wife needs a husband, a parent needs a child, a parent, uh, an individual needs a mentor, and each and every one of us needs a, a, a connection with our creator, with the source of all life, because the deficiencies that we possess allow for the possibility of an extraordinary connection. There is so much to celebrate in the seeing and the facing that deficiency. The Eino Yodei show the one who doesn't know to ask, is deserving of so much compassion and encouragement and understanding. And ultimately, the, the one who doesn't know to ask is, he's a hero. He's one of the heroes of the Passover Seder. Each and every one of us is a hero in, that, in, 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 in our possession of that quality. It can become transformed, and it is the vehicle through which we achieve and attain and yearn for so so much. I want to take this moment to wish everyone uh, a wonderful, holy, sweet, kosher uh, Passover. And if you're not listening in the season of Passover, that you have a wonderful week and beyond.